Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored and I have loved you. Therefore I will give men to you and people for your life. Fear not, I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who calls by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him, yes, I have made him. Before we begin, I want to let you know that tonight we're going to have a singing night. That means it's going to be a thematic, an evening where we have a thematic plan around our song service. We're going to be focusing on peace this evening in our song selection and in our scripture readings and in our devotional time. We encourage you to be back tonight at 6 for, for that opportunity to praise God in song in a unique way. And also, don't forget the next Sunday night, our young men that are active in our leadership training ministry will be uh, conducting the service, so return for that one as well. Heard a story about an older man who was showing a friend around his house. He was showing him all of the trinkets and collectibles he and his wife have obtained over the years. And, and he said to his friend, you know what I would love to do? The day before I die, I'd love to sell all this stuff just to see how much it's worth. And his friend said, well, that's not possible. You, you can't know the day that you're going to die, so you can't plan to sell all this stuff the day before. And the old man said, well, sure I can, because the day I sell this stuff, my wife is going to kill me. <laughs> now, I want you to think about your house for a moment. Maybe you've gone through a move. Maybe you were just cleaning your house. Maybe you were just sitting there looking at all the stuff that you've collected. Have you ever had that moment where you've just thought to yourself, why do I have all this stuff? Sarah and I had the opportunity to, to move last year when we bought, uh, bought our current house, and, and I just couldn't believe some of the things that we've held on to for so many years. Got up in the attic of our, of our old house and found a deflated basketball. And I'm like, why am I hanging on to this? It has no grip on it anymore. I have a softball glove that, that no longer has the, the, the stitching through it, so, I, so it can't be used anymore. And, and yet I, like many of you, have trouble throwing some things away. And it's not that I'm a hoarder, per se. It's just that I'm lazy, <laughs> admittedly. But, but do you ever look at the things you own and wonder, why do I have all of this stuff? See, we have to face the fact that we buy a lot of stuff for no real good reason. And the truth is that a lot of people live by the same principle. They live for no real good reason. Have you ever wondered, what was I made for? Why am I here? Have you ever wondered if you were designed to excel at something? In this year when our thematic emphasis is vision and our focus is on, uh, and our goal is to focus on what really matters, I think it's necessary for us to talk about our purpose. I think we need to understand 
why we are here, what we were made for, what our purpose is in this life. Because if we want to focus on what really matters, that ranks up there. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to dive into this new series that I'm calling Living on Purpose. It's going to be the goal of this series for us to investigate Scripture to see what God says our purpose is. And in the coming weeks, we'll see that we were formed for His family, that we were saved for His service, that we were made for His mission, that we were intended for His pleasure, and so on. But today we first need to simply ask this question, why am I here? What's my purpose? And let's lay a groundwork for understanding where we're going to go with this series and why we're going to engage in this series. But before we can actually answer the question, what is my purpose, we first need to understand how we determine our purpose. See, one thing we need to assert is that our purpose cannot be ter- determined by anything created. Our purpose cannot be determined by anything created. If you were to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll see that all throughout that book, Solomon repeatedly used the word vanity, or as one translation says, meaningless. And for example, you can go to the first chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 2, where Solomon says, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. It's a very positive book. But from there, if you, when you start there in the first chapter and you work your way through the early, pass, the early section of, of Ecclesiastes, what you'll see is that, that Solomon admits that he tried to find meaning in all the wrong places. He tried education, he tried recreation, he tried work and wealth, he tried sex, good food, nice clothes, big houses. If you could buy it, wear it, store it, eat it, or experience it, he tried it. He searched out life to find its meaning, and he tried everything he could think of, and here's how he summarized his experience, his, his conclusion in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 14. He said, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, and all of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. In other words, Solomon came to the conclusion that life without purpose is pointless. And a lot of people make the same mistake that Solomon made. They look for meaning under the sun. And you're not going to find an answer to why am I here under the sun. You're not going to find an answer to what my purpose is by looking at creation. In fact, Bertrand Russell, a popular 20th century philosopher and Nobel laureate who was was an agnostic, he understood this, and he said, unless you assume a God, and mind you, this is a guy who does not believe in a God, unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. And he's right, because if you're, if you're just a sophisticated lump of matter that evolved over time, then why do you really matter at all? But you're here today because you believe there is life above the sun. You believe there is something greater than us. You're here today because you believe in God and you believe He has the answer to the reason for your existence. 
And that's where you have to go to discover your purpose. Because our purpose must be determined by the Creator. I want you to think about something for a moment. Which way is the toilet paper supposed to come off the roll? Is it supposed to come over the top or under the bottom? Which way is it supposed to come? And here's the thing. In your household, at some point in your life, you've had a debate about this. Because there are some really insane people out there that believe the toilet paper is supposed to come off the bottom. And there's some really intelligent people out there that believe it's supposed to come over the top. And the thing is, those that believe toilet paper is supposed to come off the top are right. You know why? Because we can go to the patent for a toilet paper roll and see how it was designed to be made. Now here's the point of all that. If we want to discover, if we want to discover the correct way to use toilet paper, guess what? We go back to its creator. And that principle is important. Because if you want to understand why you were created, you have to go to the creator. And that's what we intend to do in this series. We're going to ask God, via His Word, what our purpose is because He's the one who made us. And let me show you a, a, a few quick passages that allude to this. If you go to Colossians chapter 1 and look at verse 16, Paul will write these words. He says, For by Him, and he's referring to Christ specifically, but God generally, since they are one, for by Him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, whether visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. In other words, Paul indicates that we were created by God and we were created for A similar thing is said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. Once again, Paul says, In Him, once again a reference to Christ specifically, but God generally, since they are one, in Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. According to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Scripture is declaring that we were made purposely. That we have a purpose. And that God is the definer of that purpose. One last verse is still here in Ephesians. And if you go over to chapter 2 and verse 10, after talking about salvation, Paul says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are His workmanship. We are the craftsmanship of God. We are His toilet paper roll. We are what He created, and He created us with a purpose to do good works that He planned in advance. We have a purpose. And that purpose is defined by God. But what ultimately is that purpose? 
our ultimate purpose is to glorify and magnify God. The Bible indicates that God does not exist to make much of us, but that we exist to make much of Him. Now, I know that the image on the screen is confusing right now if we're talking about bringing glory to God, and there's a statue of a human up there, but it'll, you'll understand why I use that in just a moment. I want you to notice Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 7. We read from Isaiah 43 a minute ago, but specifically in verse 7, God said that everyone who he formed, everyone who he made, was created for what? For his glory. In other words, we were designed for the purpose of being all about God, of magnifying and glorifying him, of making him look good. You know what the term glory is a reference to? The Greek term translated glory refers to weightiness. It reveals that God is to carry the most weight in our lives. In other words, glory means that God is heavy, not light. And we are designed to let the world know that. We're designed to demonstrate the weightiness of God in our lives. God's purpose for us is to reveal himself and make himself known through us. And that trumps our comfort. That trumps our agenda. That trumps our personal preferences. God's purpose is always going to be to make himself known and to reveal his glory through us. In fact, this is the purpose of all of creation, if you think about it. In Psalm chapter 19 and verse 1, David said, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. In that psalm, David is saying that, that you can look up into the sky and you can see that God is heavy, that God is weighty. Then there's Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3 where Isaiah had a vision with angels singing around the throne of God saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Those angels were saying that you can't step on the earth and not see that God is heavy, that God is weighty, that God matters. And although all of creation reveals God's glory, we have to admit that human beings, that mankind is uniquely equipped for this purpose. Do you remember when God was creating everything and he made the sun, the moon, and the stars, and he said, it is good. Then he made the earth and said it was good, made the vegetation, made the plants, then made the animals, said it is good. Every time he made something, he said, it is good. What does good mean? When we think of the term good, we typically, think of, uh, we typically translate that as meaning moral. That something is behaving well. But when God said, it is good, he was not specifically meaning that they are moral, that they're not bad, that they're not evil. He wasn't saying when he made the apple trees that they are good, and that means that they're not stealing from the peach trees. That's not what he's talking about. 
Good, by definition, in Genesis chapter 1, is referring to the fact that everything was doing what it was supposed to do. That everything was fulfilling its purpose. See, the purpose of all of creation is to bring glory to God. But mankind is uniquely qualified for this purpose. In the creation account, have you ever noticed that Scripture repeatedly states that God made all the living things according to their kind? Plants and trees made according to their kind. Birds and fish made according to their kind. All the creatures that walk on the earth made according to their kind. But then he gets to this point where he's going to make humans. And Scripture doesn't say he made us according to our kind. Instead, God said, let's make man according to our kind. It's in Genesis 1.26 where God specifically said these words. He said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. I think that little detail indicates that more than anything else in all the universe, we are uniquely qualified to glorify and to magnify God. And that brings us to the statue on the screen. One author compared our status as God's image bearers to statues in the ancient Roman world. In the ancient world, great rulers would often set up statues of themselves in prominent places. Not so much in their own home vicinity, but in foreign and far-flung territories. In fact, far more statues of Roman emperors are found in Greece, Turkey, and Egypt than in Italy or Rome. And for an emperor, the point of placing an image of himself in a subject territory was so that the subjects in that area would be reminded that the emperor ruled. They would be reminded of who's in charge and would hopefully conduct themselves accordingly. See, we are God's image bearers, and therefore we are, in effect, His statues in this world. We are here to represent Him in the far-flung reaches of His creation. We are here to point the world toward Him. We are His representatives here to remind the world that God is creator, that God is father, that God is the one who saves us. We're here to represent him as a statue would an emperor in Rome. And scripture repeatedly indicates this. In Matthew chapter 5, and verse 16, Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and do what? Give glory to your father who is in heaven. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20, Paul said, you were, bought with a, you were bought with a price, so do what with your body? So glorify God in your body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, Paul added, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do what? All to the glory of God. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12, Peter said, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds And what? Glorify God on the day of visitation. You see, our reason for being here is to represent God to a world so that glory may be given to Him. Our reason for existence is not for our benefit, but for His. 
Our reason for existence is not to make much of ourselves, but to make much of Him. Our reason for our existence is not about us. It's all about God. We are here to bring Him glory. That's our ultimate purpose. And that realization should impact the decisions we make. That realization should impact the thoughts we possess. That realization should impact the words we say, the attitudes we demonstrate, the relationships we form, the places we go, the activities in which we're involved. Because our purpose is to bring glory to God. I want to challenge you to have this one question go through your mind before you do anything. The one question every day that I want you to think about is can God be praised through this? If all of your decisions, all of your activities, all of your behaviors, all of your thoughts will filter through whether or not God can receive applause for this, to say it another way, it will change how you do things. Because your existence is not about you. It's all about God. But there is a problem. And our problem is that we fail to fulfill our purpose when we sin. You return to the creation account with me and and think about this. Creation was good because everything was doing what it was supposed to do. But then sin entered the picture. You know what sin is? Sin is ultimately a deliberate decision on our part to take God's glory for ourselves. Think about the very first sin. Satan convinced Adam and Eve that God was holding out on them, that if they were to eat of the forbidden fruit, it would make them like God. And so when Adam and Eve chose to eat of that forbidden fruit, It demonstrated a desire of theirs to be like God. They chose to glorify and magnify themselves instead of God in that moment. And that's ultimately what sin is when you you break it down, when you consider its foundation. Look at what Paul had to say about sin in the, the first chapter of Romans. Particularly in verses 21 through 23, Paul identified sin as not honoring God, as not giving thanks to God, and as exchanging the glory of God for images resembling created things. And then in verse 25 of Romans chapter 1, Paul summarized the whole problem by saying sin is worshiping and serving the creature rather than the Creator. And you know what? Skip two chapters later into the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, a passage many of you know by heart. And you find out that all of us are guilty of doing this, for all have sinned, and what? Fall short of the glory of God. So sin, in essence, is saying, God, you may deserve all the glory, but I'm not going to let you have it, because I want it for myself. And how does God feel about that? If you stay here in Romans chapter 1, you'll see that, that, that God is jealous and protective of His glory. 
See, God himself said in Isaiah 42 and verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other. My glory I give to no other. God is saying that it is unacceptable to him for someone to hijack his glory. And Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 indicates that that angers God. That, that our refusal to give God all the glory, incite, it, it, it brings out his wrath. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 says, The wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Our refusal to give him glory makes him angry. And if you go to Romans chapter 2, you find out that the way God deals with those who hijack his story is that he punishes them eternally. Romans chapter 2 verse 5 through 9 tells us that when the righteous judgment of God comes in the day of wrath and revelation, then those who are self-seeking Maybe another word you could put in there is self-glorifying. They will incur indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish. In other words, Scripture indicates that eternal punishment is God's response to all glory hijackers. So God says if you want it to be all about you, then you can spend eternity consumed with your misery and your despair and your suffering and your loneliness. You can have it be all about you, but you can't be with me. Because it's all about Him. So our purpose is to bring glory to God. Our problem is that we sin when we fail to bring glory to God. But here's our solution. I'm going to call it self-reduction. And let me explain what I mean. You remember what John the Baptist said when some of the disciples complained about Jesus' increasing popularity? It's in John chapter 3 and verse 30 where John says, He must increase and I must decrease. John understood his position. John understood that his mission was to point people toward Jesus. John understood that it was time, time to take the back seat. John understood that the only way for Jesus to be magnified was for him to be minimized. And that's ultimately what discipleship is all about. You remember what Jesus said about following him in Luke chapter 9, verse 23? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You got to pay attention to what Jesus said there. Because Jesus didn't say you must deny yourself things. He said you must deny yourself. Our tendency is to think, oh, that means denying things. That if I'm going to follow Jesus, then I have to give up bad language. If I'm going to follow Jesus, then that means I I may have to give up some friendships. If I'm going to follow Jesus, that may mean I have to give up some activities that I like to, to, to participate in. If I'm going to follow Jesus, then that may mean I have to give up this or that or whatever. But Jesus isn't saying you have to give up things. Jesus is saying you have to deny yourself. He's indicating that each of us must experience a fundamental reorientation of what life is all about. 
And it's interesting that when Jesus said this, he inserted the word daily. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. See, I don't think this is just a one-time decision. I think self-reduction is a decision we have to make every day because it's so easy. Sorry. It's so easy for us to want to make this life about us. And maybe there's a point in the past where we make it about God, but it will be very easy in days ahead to make it about ourselves. Because guess what? The culture we live in says it's about me. Have it your way. And so self-reduction is a constant decision. It's a decision that begins when you choose to die to self in the waters of baptism. That's its beginning. See, when you, when you make the decision to become a follower of God, you make the decision to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you're making the decision to die to self. Because Romans chapter 6 clearly indicates that we die in those waters and we rise to a new life walking with Christ. We have to be willing to make the decision to reduce ourselves if we want God to get all the glory. And I've told this illustration a couple of times before, but it's worth repeating. Do you know the difference between a microscope and a telescope? A microscope magnifies objects by enlarging that which is smaller in comparison to the observer. So if you get behind a microscope, you're looking at something you can't see with your own eye that is so tiny. And through the microscope, it looks really big, even though it's not. A telescope does kind of the opposite. A telescope magnifies objects by enlarging that which is distant but big in comparison to the observer. And so you can look through a telescope and you can see a star or a planet some distance away, and it looks tiny up there in the sky, but through the telescope you get a clearer, a clearer picture of it because it actually is much larger than you are. We have to operate with a telescope mentality, not a microscope mentality. A telescope makes the user feel smaller than he actually is. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, am I a microscope or am I a telescope? Because if I'm going to be a telescope, then my ultimate goal is to make myself look small so that God can look big. I think that's the mentality John possessed when he said, he must increase and I must decrease. And the whole point is, when you have a telescope mentality, you understand that this life is not about you. That your purpose is not to seek your own glory, your own praise, your own agenda, and so forth. That your glory doesn't really matter. What matters is that God gets the glory. I hope you'll stick with me for the next few weeks as we break this down into different aspects of our lives and how ensuring that God gets the glory is our ultimate purpose in this life. Today you may not have 
initiated a life that's on purpose. And maybe you need to start that life today by confessing your belief that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God, by repenting of your sins and by being immersed in water for the forgiveness of those sins. Maybe today you need to start living on purpose. Maybe you started that journey, but you forgot your purpose. And the life you're choosing to live right now doesn't bring glory to God. The decisions you've made in the past few days don't bring glory to God. The relationships you're involved in don't bring glory to God. The attitude you possess does not bring glory to God. The thoughts that you dwell on don't bring glory to God. The things you say don't bring glory to God. If your life doesn't bring glory to God, then guess what? It's not being lived on purpose. And maybe there's a change that needs to happen starting today. Whatever your need is, we invite you to make your life on purpose today while together we stand and sing.